This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you uh, to Bite Into It, where we discuss computing, new technology, the internet, uh, everything that's really important to all of us and many of you out there. Uh, tonight, behind the desk, it's Mr. Dan Salmon. Good evening. Uh, how are you this week? I'm very well. How good were none just now? Pretty good. I haven't heard much of them, but yeah. um, I, I want to hear more now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame the series is winding up because it's been a pretty amazing few weeks. We actually need like a, a glass centre down the centre of the studio here so you can just get ready for the show and watch the live to air at the same time. Why don't... Okay, let, let's Mind start exploded. lobbying Triple R for that. I, I definitely need that <laughs> yeah, to happen I'm right totally now. Down. Triple R, sort of 4.0, I guess, the Perspex studio mm. uh, would be amazing. <laughs> um, on my left is Laura Summers. How are hey you? There. Yeah, yeah, I'm really good. How are you, Warren? Pretty good. Um, I, I do feel like I'm missing out on the, the earring um, effect here. Um, oh, no, they're they're hidden underneath my enormous cans. Like, they're actually just, you know, sunken underneath the uh, headphones. But they're there still. They're there in spirit, even if you can't see them. I think that... that Maybe the next conference that you talk at or talk you have to give where your earrings are being disobedient, maybe this is the way to go. Yeah, yeah, just like tuck them in underneath headphones. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. I'd actually really love to have headphones where I can attach my earrings to them so I can like still accessorize, but I'm not actually like in any way entangled. Oh, yeah, that makes heaps of sense. Mm. Uh, I'm with you also, uh, I'm Warren Davies. if you love getting together uh, and having a chat about uh, technology, um, if you love to get together with 8,000 uh, other developers uh, and tech people and create and break and fix the world in, in the way that only we can, uh, Fosdom Conference uh, should be on your radar. Uh, it's been going every year uh, since around 2001 uh, around the world. Um, this year it was in Belgium. Uh, we'll talk through that in a second uh, with Alexa, uh, who's going to give us the, the lowdown on uh, on how that went. I just noticed there was over 600 videos up from uh, the conference this year. So uh, if you have a week or two off work or you're in between projects... Got some spare time. 55 tracks they had, 55 individual tracks over two days. Yeah. So even if, you, even if you're in a session the entire time, there's 54 other... Yeah. entire periods that you need to catch up on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no missing out on FOMO there. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Carew, if you're out there listening, don't bother coming in tonight. It's going to be a very long show. Um, we have 55 tracks of that conference to cover. Uh, also, um, if you are listening to us um, on an old phone or an old tablet or a strange piece of technology, you do have a chance to both be involved in a performance art piece and also recycle that uh, old precious metal, um, old plastic. Uh, one last call is, um, yeah, a combination of recycling meets art. Uh, and we're going to uh, talk to two of the creators of One Last Call uh, in a moment as well. But before we do have those chats, um, there's heaps of stuff going on around the world. Um, almost too much to talk about, but we've grabbed some of the things that we thought were important. Um, there's been some stuff going on in the US that uh, we thought was was worth chatting about, Laura. Yeah, there's been um, a series of repeals of legislation that happened during the Obama years. And one big one is that Congress has just voted to let internet providers, i.e. ISPs, sell your browsing history to advertisers. Um, and while that might seem not terribly nefarious, it is actually not a great result for privacy advocates around the world. Um, and what it means essentially is that the way that big platforms like Google and Facebook can track you and amalgamate data about your behavior, that's something that your internet service provider can also do. But in the past, they were not actually able to sell on that data, at least in the States, um, at least without you opting in and saying, yes, I, I acknowledge this is happening and I'm okay with it. But now, unfortunately, they can go ahead and do it when they want to and without letting 
letting you know that it's happening. Um, and in fact, they, they're not in any way obliged to, to give you information about it. So kind of scary, to be honest. Yeah, and it seems such a, a, a cheap giving up of um, something that's very personal. I was having mm. a chat with someone today about it's akin to somebody being in your house and watching everything that you do and overhearing every conversation, but mm. because it's so um, uh, intangible and hard to grasp for us yeah. uh, and because the commercial interests are so large, it's so easily given away, which is yeah. a, a real shame. Absolutely. And because we don't value it ourselves, it's not something you don't think, oh, I would pay $10 a month for my internet history. Like that's, mm. you just can't value it. It's really intangible. Mm. Um, but a, a good way to think about this is that, um, you know, when you, when you think about people at Google and Facebook and Twitter tracking your behavior, like if you leave that service or if you log out of that service, it's no longer able to know what happens. But an ISP can track everything you do, including incognito incognito mode so mm. if you open a chrome browser it still technically can like know some basics about what's happening um obviously there's detail if you're logged into a secure site in https versus a non-secure there's more or less data they can capture um but it's it's actually quite quite a lot that they can find out about you and potentially over time that builds up quite a lot of information about your browsing habits your history maybe your work maybe your personal preferences maybe things you don't want other people knowing about you so yeah it's it's, it's not ideal and certainly a big blow to the privacy advocates over there. At a very basic level, I had to lend my um, laptop to somebody last week and the guest login wasn't working. So they're like, can you just give me a password? And I was okay with that. So and I'm shaking my head. <laughs> going, yeah. no. I was like, do I, what do I browse on that computer? Um, mm. You know, so I mean, I've got a very old fashioned way of being careful about that stuff, about what you do on each device. And like, I almost have like a mental log of what I use that computer for and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel too bad about it. But on a, on a massive scale, this is now what's been um, unlocked by um, the voting Congress um, overnight. Yeah, absolutely. The, the legislature itself is actually really confusing and, and jarbled because it essentially it's like not a thing that they voted for. It's a thing they've repealed. And because mm. they've decided to repeal it, they can't put something similar back in mm. at any time. And I think it's the next three or four years. So it's a bit of a weird type of legislation, but mm. but essentially they've they've opened the gates. And because that's it's, it's there for the foreseeable future, you can imagine that those ISPs will then go ahead and build platforms to monetize that, that new service that they might be able to offer, like that data mining or that, that data amalgamation. Um, and yeah, there's there's some ways you can protect yourself if you're interested. Um, obviously, using HTTPS um, if possible, and also you can look at things like a VPN. Um, it's an extra service. It can be a little bit annoying, but it's certainly if this is the sort of thing that you are worried about, or if you want to protect yourself, it's worth you know exploring those options mm. and thinking about what data are you happy to be out in the world easily accessible. Mm, absolutely. Uh, one of the other issues that um, has come up um, uh, this time in the UK um, that we thought was um, interesting, um, obviously there was um, uh, recent attacks and um, UK Home Secretary uh, Amber Rudd has said uh, WhatsApp, uh, which is owned by Facebook, um, should open its encryption to security services and urge online companies to be more aggressive in shutting down sites uh, exported by terrorists. Um, WhatsApp famously um, has, I guess, some of the best end-to-end -end encryption of um, messaging. Um, and because of that, um, like, uh, I guess, a lot of smart services, um, they are vulnerable to use by um, uh, terrorist groups or uh, organised crime or, or what have you. So um, it, it is a thorny issue for governments um, and um, people uh, around the world um, to evaluate encryption and privacy um, mm. and is the cost of having that um, uh, that conversations that shouldn't be had will be had and should we able to be able to pick up on those so mm. 
Uh, I kind of fall on the side of we should be able to have private conversations and we should be able to talk to people without people um, filtering through everything that we do even though that is quite commonplace in a lot of the services anyway Um, you know services like um, uh, Apple and um, Gmail they just get creepier and creepier whenever Mm. you like every every few months there's a change and you know it's putting things in your diary for you and and so forth but um, yeah it is good to know that you have uh, whether it's a service like WhatsApp or or any other thing a a place where you can go where you know you're not being overheard Um, and I feel it's probably just a cop out from um, legislators to say that we need to be tougher on security and tougher on monitoring um, when they can be doing more to um, address the issues that um, cause terrorism and um, allow crime to proliferate and, and so mm. forth. So it's. I feel like places like WhatsApp are an easy target mm. for, for governments. Absolutely. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm all for more encryption, more mm. private services, more end-to-end. Um, and certainly, I think, I, I totally agree. It's a, it's a huge cop-out and particularly thinking that... Um, we, we as consumers, our privacy and our security rights are being trampled on more and more every day. And I don't know that it's at all appropriate to put the onus of searching for terrorist messages or searching for security, like concerning things on the service platform, right? Mm. Like WhatsApp, it's not their job to no. go around reading our messages and attempting to determine whether or not we're plotting some terrorist attack. Um, you know, there, there have been forms of encryption since World War II. This isn't a new battle of attrition. This isn't mm. something new. Like we've, we've had this problem since people try to seal letters and not get people to read their letters as they send them around the world. Mm. It's simply that the number of messages and the types of encryption are getting more and more complicated. But I think it's worth reminding ourselves that this is not at all a new issue. It's just the technologies that they're being played out on are different. I'm going to violently agree with you. Okay, all right. <laughs> We're just going to nod crazily yeah, at each other. That's some great radio right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in other news, uh, Uber's been popping up for a, a couple of reasons, Dan. What's, they have. what's going on with them? Now, um, uh, you guys uh, may remember we spoke about a, a little while ago, Uber have started testing uh, driverless cars mm. or self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a bit of a snag, as there generally seems to be with these things as they start being rolled out. Uh, in the in Arizona uh, on Friday, a uh, an Uber driverless car was um, involved in an accident um, and Uber subsequently uh, put a pause on all of their testing. Uh, they've now in the last 24 hours uh, started it up again because um, the Arizona police have uh, come to the conclusion that it was the fault of the human driver of the other car. Ah. So um, It wasn't taking a crazy shortcut? No. Like, no through some crazy through, roundabout? Through, through a house getting, or right, anything yeah. like that. No, which is which I suppose it, it, in a way is it exonerates the, the technology and exonerates the, dri- the driverless uh, car from blame. But, I mean, at the same time, as long as there's going to be these this kind of like tension between peop- the the driverless car and mm. the, and the angry driver, mm. we need to either have get rid of all. Of, in my opinion, we need to like not go there, or we need to go there all at once. Yeah, I loved I love the idea of this Basil Faulty kind of like altercation where um, some driver's getting crazy and sort of beating up a car with nobody in it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened before. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Warren, you you've had a you've had an experience oh. with mm. Uber and uh, their. Uh, developing technology I, I, I hear I have yeah I uh, so they're developing their own uh, maps uh, and their own um, uh, I guess competition to uh, Google Earth and Google Maps um, yeah I, I caught one yesterday and I got a text message before it arrived to say that there's going to be a camera on the roof but don't worry because we're not taking any footage or uh, photography um, at pickup or drop off um, so I just thought, okay, I, I don't really care. You can take my photo. I, sort of, I'm not doing anything weird. Um, 
got in, um, got another text message when I was in there to say, hey, this is what's going on, just letting you know. Um, there was a bit of information in the car. But uh, I guess two things struck me. Firstly, was they were doing everything they could to kind of make it okay. Um, but then also, why are they doing this? Um, and uh, considering there's some okay services out there already and it's not um, a small task to map the world or map the world's roads, why would they be doing this? Uh, and it has been going on for a little while. I think um, it's come to Australia fairly late in the piece. Maybe we've just got less bitumen than, than most places. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Do, do you have a take on why why they're rolling well, this out? Well, I'm, I'm very confused by it mm. because, as you say, like it's so comprehensive what we already have from, and I hate saying it, but Google. Mm. Um, I Last week or the week before, I was um, walking down the street. I can't remember where it was, but uh, a Tom Tom car, so Tom Tom being mm. the kind of the international GPS company, one mm. of the biggest ones in the world. Um, they're they're doing the same thing, going around with cameras on top of their cars and and uh, taking footage of the streets. And it just kind of seems almost redundant because I would imagine Google, as as kind of dubious as some of the stuff that they do is, generally access to their to their street view and their maps is reasonably universal. Why would you not want to tap into that resource? I don't know. It could just be. I, I think um, um, some of these bigger companies are in a fairly competitive space and they do see um, you know, Google as a market leader and they'd like to remove themselves from the platform of their competitors perhaps. But um, it is strange. I feel like so much money is wasted and so much, so many smart people are, are deployed to projects that don't mean anything. I just started thinking about the Gulag and people building <laughs> canals to nowhere and stuff like that. Like, we, <laughs> wow. We, we really, that got dark. We they really, really did really this. fast. Is this just a really big troll or is it a performance art piece, Warren? Like, is it just, you know, us trying to, you know, sociologically examine how we respond to tech development in Melbourne? That's an interesting... I'd like to just put a camera on top of my car and just drive around and see what the reaction... Like, with no branding Mm. on the car, just see what people's responses would be because that would be an interesting experiment. Maybe you could do that in Brisbane because they're trying to uh, rebrand themselves as a a tech hub. Um, Indeed. What's going on there? Indeed. There's um, a number of people who've come come to some of these big events um, or rather worked on some of these big events like Pause Fest and Southwest Southwest are working together to bring a big innovation event um, to Brisbane called Myriad um, and it's a sort of conference workshops um, yeah like get together event where um, a happening a happening oh I hate that <laughs> word so much <laughs> um, but yeah they're, um, uh, the, the primary founder Mark Sowerby um wants people to start thinking of Brisbane as a petri dish and the place for innovation. I know it's kind of a <laughs> gross idea. Right? I already think of Brisbane as a petri dish. <laughs> not in a good way, not in a way that's going to develop like the pneumonia killing antibiotics. Come no, on. not in that way. No. Okay. Well, that's, that's the way he means just so you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're they're attempting to encourage innovation and technology projects in Brisbane and obviously all around Queensland. Um, he's he's trying to spin the whole geographic sort of distance and farness away as being actually one of their strengths. So he says, you know, people here they don't really get distracted by the noise and the hustle and the competition of Sydney and Melbourne. So they can just you know get down to business and get work done. Which is yeah, with being in Melbourne, we won't comment. <laughs> no, it sounds great. We support our. Uh, at Brisbane uh, Sisters and Brothers. Absolutely. And look, they do actually have some really rad speakers. There's um, a bunch of people coming um, from around Australia to go and talk and they've got quite a lot of investors coming as well. So for people who are developing brands and they want to try and 
spin up some seed funding. Like they're obviously trying to help those connections happen. And I think that's admirable. It's really exciting to see more more money coming into Australia in general for tech projects. So, um, and it's the Brisbane powerhouse, which is pretty gorgeous. Mm. So it's a pretty gorgeous venue. Um, frankly, I could handle being in Brisbane right now and getting some warm sun, so. If anyone's out there, wants yeah. to send an intrepid reporter along. Indeed, indeed. Laura's just raising her hand quietly over raising here in the corner. Hand. But yes. um, yeah, seriously, we'd like to hear mm. more about how it goes. And um, yeah, maybe we'll see if we can get some of the speakers um, on the show. See if yeah. we can hear more about that. Uh, if you do like uh, getting along and chatting about technology and meeting other people uh, with um, similar mindset or even having an argument over a beer uh, from the opposing point of view, uh, conferences like Fosdem um, are a great way to do that. Um, the conference has been running for about 16 years now um, uh, all around the world and we are now joined by Alexa Pendoshta, um, who did get along to the Fosdem conference in Belgium uh, last month. Uh, Alexa, thanks for coming along. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so, was this your first Fosdem conference, or have you been to? Yeah, more? It, it was. It was my first one. Yeah, I've been uh, following them, and they have great speakers. Of course, the great talks. I've been always uh, watching the vid- uh, watching the videos and following the articles. Uh, last year, unfortunately, I couldn't attend because I was uh, at a job in government here in Victoria. Hmm. But this year, I had this opportunity, and I just got to get an event. It was amazing. And so how long have you been planning it? Like you've been sort of working on it for weeks and months because there's a lot to do there. It's a fairly hefty conference. Yeah, it's just two days. Yeah. Yeah, but very intense days. Mm. And for better or worse, I'd like to help and volunteer. And so I've been volunteering as well. Oh, so great. yeah, it was very tough uh, because now I'm still catching up with videos and uh, like talks of the very conference that I attended. I'm just mm. catching up with it. And it was, um, you come to it as a, as a developer and as someone who believes in open source development. Um, that's a strong thing in the conference? Yeah, well, the, the, the main target is about uh, developers because they discuss challenges that they have and they promote, the, they introduce the projects that they're working on. And uh, basically they, uh, they're aiming, aiming at developers, but anyone who is interested in open source, there was, uh, I met many, many interesting people. There was a, a physicist who just come along to see what's going on. There was another guy uh, from University of Munich who was a PhD student. Uh, he was a mechanical engineering, but engineer, but he just wanted to know more about open source. Mm-hmm. So you get to see all those sort, sort of random people, I would say as well. Just for those of us who don't know, can you um, walk us through what this acronym means, FOSDEM? It's yeah, a bit of, of a long one. It has a bit of a his- history as well. Oh, really? Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, like, uh, yeah, everything else in open source, if you dig it up, yeah, you get to uh, know more. Uh, FOSDEM, so it used to be OSDEM without mm-hmm. F. Uh, open source uh, developers, European meeting. Five people started in 2001. And uh, there was great, um, everyone loved it. So they decided to continue it. And uh, I think in a few years after that, uh, Richard Solman uh, suggested that they add letter F. If your audience know Richard Solman, who he is, he's a free, uh, free software foundation. Uh, he, he founded Free Software Foundation and a lot of things. So he wrote the GNU uh, public license. And uh, so he suggested that they add F at the beginning. So it became fast and free and open source developers European meeting. Mm. And that's an interesting distinction for people in this in this area, right? Like open source is not the same thing as free and open source, Correct. right? Do you want to talk to that a little bit? Like why is that so important for people? Like why are they so passionate about keeping it not just open but free? Thank you so much for asking this question. Uh, so first of all, free software and open source are different. So mm. you might have an open source software or open source hardware or open source event or whatever, but it might not be free. You just telling people what's inside it. 
for uh, transparency. And also free software might not be open, right? So this is the first distinction. The other thing that I want to point out is that the general uh, misconsum- uh, misassumption that people think free software means free of charge. They, do, they don't need to pay money. Whereas uh, it means free software means that everyone would have the right to explore, study, distribute and use the software the way they want and for whatever purpose that they want. That's what free implies. Which is different to, I can take it off the shelf and I don't have to pay money for it, Mm. which is confusing, right? Yeah, Mm. correct. But nonetheless, important. And it is is—it is an important, I think it's a, it's a really ideological um, view of the world. And I think it's really important that we preserve our, our, um, uh, our values um, as, we, as we think about how we develop and what we're going to develop for. Um, so I was curious, did you get to see the keynote on um, understanding the complexity of copyleft defense? Because I thought that was, that was one that really like pinged my eye as I was looking at this, this schedule, which was in really intense, as we said before, 55 tracks over two days. And I think 620 or so speakers yeah like yeah. incredible yeah yeah I, I i think it's eight thousand people attending wow and something I, I mentioned just here in brackets is that there's no registration not only it's free there's mm. also no registration and they estimate the number of attendees based on the mac address of people who are using wi-fi <laughs> of the event so that's that's like crazy open source stuff happening so around eight thousand, and all the trams in the city are full fully packed in those days. So uh, to answer your question, uh, at the time of the keynote, I was at the volunteering room. Oh, oh no. Okay, so you're going to watch it later on video and come back <laughs> yeah. to me. I, I was just curious because it's talking about 25, 25 years of this GPL thing and, and deciding whether or not copyleft is actually successful, which I think is a, is a really interesting and chewy question for people in the open source domain. I can, um, I can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's, my, yeah. that's not my... Uh, main uh, like field of expertise but what I know is that uh, they're having some issues in licensing but first of all licensing is very important in open source community you could assume licensing as the constitution for the open source community and society so it's important and and because it's open source there's no one that says this is it this is how it should be there are different versions and sometimes different versions have conflict with each other so sometimes you can't really use a software because of the licensing issues, because in mm. your software, the license of your software has a conflict with the other license. So a lot of conversations are going on. And as you mentioned, also the copyleft, uh, the copyleft also is not a license. You should, uh, should also note that copy, yeah. Yeah. It's a way of licensing. It's a way of licensing. Yeah, that's right. And whether or not it's defensible is kind of the big question. Like, can we can we maintain the spirit of open source um, in a world that's by its nature mixed between corporate and paid projects and open source and free projects? And as we just said, they're all not quite the same, but very similar. Yeah. Um, so what was your favorite talk? What was the thing that, that you, like what the, maybe the one talk you could tell us about that, that really sparked your interest? Well, yeah, uh, the, talk, the talk that really interested me was the one that I introduced the speaker. Uh, it was the power of open. And interestingly, it wasn't about software. It was about hardware. The piece that we normally miss because normally we think of like software and like every, everything should be transparent and data and government and everything. But if we forget that, what are all this software and data are running on the network and the service, right? So there are a lot of problems. If you dig into it, you see a lot of problems. So uh, he, was, he was the founder of uh, European Free Software Foundation. 
mm-hmm. George uh, Grieve. He, he's German, so I pronounce his name wrong, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, so he was, uh, he was talking about this, and that was interesting for me to know that we should also worry about the hardware as well, not only the software. Mm. So is that to do with um, how it's supported, or can you have proprietary hardware that isn't uh, sort of available for for sharing by the sort of general hacker community? Like I'm, I'm less of a hardware geek, so I'm I'm curious to know how that how that rolls out in real life. Yeah, the same. Uh, but the things that I know is that uh, like normally like CPUs, like in- Intel CPUs, like mm-hmm. you don't know what's in it, right? So they say how it works, but they always uh, some. Uh, blob of information, of code that's written into it and you don't know how it works, right? So, uh, and as of, I think, 2008, all Intel processors have this ability to turn on by themselves. So many of uh, personal computers that you have at phone, if you look at the LAN, uh, the adapter bit, uh, it just blinks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but basically if it's connected to LAN, it could get the order to turn turn on itself without needing uh, the main processor. It has, they have uh, their own process for other purposes, for maintenance and corporate staff, you know, the IT need to be able to uh, fix your computer if you're a manager, but it could also be used uh, for the bad purpose. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's another movement that's saying we should also work on open source hardware where there's a document and you could build it yourself anytime you want and you could be sure that uh, no one has any access in real time or in the future. Mm. And there's no piece of code and there's no sort of physical hardware that's like a black box that you can't see into. Is, uh, is, is that that's sort of the idea is that, that like everything is, is visible and available to be examined by other programmers? Examined and you, mm. you could potentially, ideally you could create it yourself too. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. With the lightning talks, I always like just throwing myself in the deep end of a, a conference and just kind of seeing something random or I'm not sure about. Um, mm-hmm. There's some great acronyms in here. I, I will say, as a, an observer of open source, but not sort of deeply involved, that there, you guys do love an acronym. Um, I'm looking at the, the schedule here. Um, there was uh, SOFA, which looks really good, which was real-time multi-physics simulation with an emphasis on medical simulation. But possibly the worst one was GRUB. Um, what's GRUB? New Maintainers, News and Future, uh, Vladimir Serebenko. Um, I did actually have, I was using, have you guys ever used Usability Hub? For, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing that today and I was reading the comments and they totally mashed our um, the actual brand that we were working on and it came back as like Smuzz. <gasps> so now it's become known internally as Smuzz. But, um, it's like a pet name. It's okay. It is. We, we like it. Um, do, you, do you ever get along to the lightning talks? And do you try to, how do you try and um, get outside of your groove? Like we all have our things that we're passionate about and we're all very good at or things that we want to learn more about. Is there a chance for serendipity or? Uh, I would say it is mm. uh, because uh, the people who are organizing it very, very friendly. Mm. Like you could feel the spirit of open source there. So mm. you could always be open to ideas. Mm. And uh, I was giving them a lot of feedbacks in real time, and I, I was mm. seeing that they're actually taking it seriously, and they're doing what they can, and they're mm. saying why they why they can't do this sure. this time. So you could tell them, and if they could fit it there, they will. Mm. What What were some of the weirder things that you thought? I can't believe this is at the conference, or I don't understand how that's related, or uh, you mean in terms of the talks, Con- content, ideas, um, different perspectives on open source? Oh, it's a very good question. Well, I have to think. To remember, but what about the physicist that was there? What do you think he saw? What about the physicist? Oh, the physicist, they are oh, that, that guy. Uh, well, people who are interested in open source, they typically more or less look the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, I don't know, 
Like he was, yeah, he was, he was interested in this stuff. He was following. And we had a good conversation. I learned more about physics than he learned more about Omeson. So I think <laughs> our conversation. <laughs> That's great. Were, were there any downsides to it? Like if you think Fosdem, if you're going to go back, um, what would you like to see more of? Uh, interestingly, I can't really think of anything that... Mm. I'm, I'm really, Aside from diversity, perhaps. Uh, apart from... Diversity. The diversity. The, on, the, on that note, uh, there, was a, uh, there was a great team coming from America and they had a great talk on uh, diversity mm. that I encourage everyone to uh, see because the, mm. we normally see as diversity problems as female-male problem, mm. but there's another problem that is ageism. Mm. So people are about 40, 50, they find it very hard to get mm. into teams and technology. Mm. And mm. they talked about all other interesting things as well, which I don't have it on top of my head. So I encourage your audience to also have a look at that mm. too. There's a lot of stereotypes in technology. And you, they look like the person, so they must be like the person. And they look like everybody else who already works here. So we need to hire those people. And unfortunately, because this industry is very, very new mm. and there is no actual organization, it's, uh, it's not like engineering, which has mm. been around for 100 or 200 years. Mm. So you... Like everything is kind of by judgment. Mm. When you want to hire someone, you have to judge in the interview if you should guess. Mm. The same thing goes to the whole industry, mm. as you said, unfortunately. Will you be back next year? Have you got your plane ticket already? Definitely, yeah. 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 Mm. I get my tickets the very last days before the conference. How many, how many of the videos are you going to watch in the meantime of this like 600 of odd talks that you didn't get to see? Like how many of these are you going to try and like watch in the meantime? Uh, well, I wouldn't go directly to the archive of the website. And mm -hmm. this is something that I also uh, encourage people uh, or recommend people to do. There's a website called LWN, if I remember well, which... Uh, collects a series of the best talks of that year in open source and Linux related mainly. So I, I start from there and sometimes there's just a, a few uh, videos there. I start from those videos and it's not only FastSim, there are other conferences. One of the important ones which I want to mention is Linux uh, Conference Australia mm -hmm. or LCA uh, that they also have very great talks. So I make sure that I, I watch those talks that are listed in that website and then I go to the archive. Very, very sensible. I think it's a little bit overwhelming to like look at 100 or 600 even talks and figure out which one to start with. So nice for a little curation to happen. You Can Can I say something here? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I had this issue and mm -hmm. like any other problem that uh, we face, we think of an idea, right? So I was thinking of uh, opening up a platform where for any video, everyone is in, could create a five minute video to sum it up and post it there, like a crowdsourcing thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a list of all the videos and you could see the five minute uh, sum up by different people mm -hmm. and people vote. So you could just watch those five minute sum up done by people and choose which one you want to see the whole thing. Yeah, right. So so like Alexer's talk and Laura's words, but like pitched by Laura. I like it, but I'd, I'd like, you know, say even bring it tighter, like make it 30 second reviews, like make it really, really tight. 30 seconds, even better. Pe people will watch 30 seconds. Five minutes can still be a big ask. Mm -hmm. They call it 30 seconds. Yeah, cool. Love it. All right. So who wants to fund us? <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, who are, those who are listening us right now, how, how can they approach us? Like triple R, find triple R on Twitter. 
93881027 if you'd like to fund this startup idea. Uh, first heard here on Bite Into It. Hey, you may have a bunch of tech sitting around your house. Um, we are encouraged um, by um, the tech relay retailers to buy often and uh, buy as many devices as we can afford. It's not necessarily a good thing for us or for the environment. Um, uh, an art piece um, challenging um, that idea. Uh, one last call um, is almost upon us and we're joined by Anna and Renee, uh, two of the people behind One Last Call. Um, Anna is on the phone in Canberra and Renee is here in studio. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining the show. Great. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Good evening. Uh, So did you guys come to this um, from the perspective of you had a lot of tech junk at home cluttering up the space or uh, was it really just the the idea that we should be communicating in more sustainable ways? Where, Where did the idea come from? Uh, So it was a little bit of that, but it was also, um, I work with a a startup um, um, initiative and an innovation um, precinct. And so we often talk about um, solving problems with technology, um, particularly around environmental and sustainability issues. Um, And there's a bit of a tension between um, solving issues around environment and sustainability with actually... um, with technology that isn't really sustainable in its own right. And Mm. so I was thinking about that and thinking about, you know, my own personal habits of replacing my mobile phone all the time Mm. um, and then really requiring myself to be disciplined about recycling those mobile phones to try and close the loop, if you like. Mm. Did you take advantage of any of those services? There's been a few out there for a little while where you can sort of, you know, put them in at a bank or have them picked up or what have you. That's right, exactly. So there's actually mobile muster who Mm. we're working with do that and they have been doing that for a long time and you can actually find little um, plastic bags at the zoo and everything to put put your mobile phone into Mm. but I guess the thing about it is there's people kind of shove their old device away somewhere in their house and forget about it so um, I think mobile muster actually estimate that around um, 50% of our old devices are still hanging around in storage, unused and unwanted in our house. Or given to your parents or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, know. that's okay too. You know, <laughs> if they if they need a new an, an older phone, then they, they can, but mm. a lot of them are just hanging around. So mm. we sort of started this project thinking that maybe we can unearth some of those phones um, in a fun way. Anna, do you have a, a, a lot of phones and devices hanging around as well? Have you been guilty of this? Um, yeah, I am. <laughs> I do have a few. Um, for me, I'm interested in the kind of the attachment that we feel to mobile phones. Like I know that for me, even though when I stop using it, I still like I don't quite want to throw it away or recycle it because I feel like it's kind of connected to a part of my life. Like it has a lot of messages and contacts on there and I feel like giving it away you're kind of losing that in some way although you're not really (laughs) so that was something that interested me about this and um the idea of one last call and the idea of making one last call or recording a message is is like a Mm. almost like a goodbye to your phone is that right or not really yeah kind of or or you're you're giving it away for a reason so you can use it to say one last thing (laughs) and then you're you're giving it away for good to like to go somewhere good so yeah that's a good way to think about it um, without giving too much away about the actual show itself, um, wh- what are you expecting to happen um, in, in the piece? Is it fairly structured or are you open to what anyone would like to do with their one last call? Yeah, well, I'm hoping that I'll get like a whole range of responses. So I'm hoping for some good um, environmental responses, um, political 
calls for environmental change, but I'm also really hoping for some quite personal calls as well. Um, as I kind of mentioned before, I'm interested in the emotional connection that we kind of hold on to with technology. So maybe some of those stories might come out. Mm. It is kind of nice, the idea of making a call, because I don't know about everybody else involved in this conversation, but I, I make less and less phone calls and phone calls become stranger and stranger. Um, and maybe it's even a generational yeah. thing as well in that, mm. you know, depending on when you were born, your comfort with phone calls is, is different. But when, when Vice launched in Australia and they had that campaign mm -hmm. to make a phone call and leave a message, mm. that, that felt really nice. There's almost like a, if there's nobody at the end of the call, I feel much more comfortable about making a call. Yeah, that's right. I mm. guess, you yeah, know, one part of that is that um, we're actually inviting people to leave a message on a, what is an old payphone, um, so really old technology, um, and that payphone actually has quite an interesting history to it. So um, Carlton Connect, where I work, the Innovation Precinct's actually located on the site of the former Royal Women's Hospital, and, and we actually found that phone in the building that obviously was used over the years to announce many births and possibly deaths as well on that phone. So we're really interested in the, I guess, using that as a ongoing story um, and a phone that can record people's um, messages even now going forward. So, mm. so how can uh, how can people get involved? Um, you guys have obviously birthed a great idea. Um, if people are listening out there with an old phone or several. What can they do? Mm -hmm. um, so the show will be open from the 12th of April um, and it will be a phone set, uh, a phone booth set up in the Kathleen Syme Community Centre and Library and people will come along and bring their old phones to recycle, put them into a slot and then they'll be able to pick up the receiver and record a message that, which will then get published online. So we're um, creating quite a big um, online presence for this work as well so I'll be tweeting some of like some snippets of phone calls that come in um, so you can find us on Twitter at one last call with a zero instead of an O and on Instagram as well with that handle. Mm. It's it's an interesting idea the um the the making of the call because I, I we, as we were talking earlier about the idea of privacy and you know sending messages through uh, apps like WhatsApp the the, the 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 intimacy of making a call and leaving a message for someone to do that and then have it turn into an on online archive where everyone can access it uh, do you think that that will um, that knowledge will inform the way that people interact with the piece yeah I think it will change it because um it's an interesting mix of that of uh, the element of broadcast and intimacy so um, but because the calls are anonymous, I hope that people won't be um, too reluctant to say what they really want to. <laughs> you can bitch about grandma as much as you like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, just a practical question. Um, are you going to support people? Like you mentioned at the beginning that there's often this sense of sort of, you know, you have this history, this archive of your life during the time that you owned that phone on the phone. And often many of us maybe don't do a great job of backing it up or archiving it. So are you, are you hoping to help people like do that last push to like take that phone, plug it into their computer one more time and like pull all that data down? Like, is that part of this project or is that sort of too big to, to bite off as part of it? Um, I think we've, we do have a link on the website that um, just reminds people about data management and to do that, to back up their phones and get all that data off. Um, 
before recycling it. But apart from that, I think it's up to them and we'll just give it straight to Mobile Master and they're um, very legit with that process from their end of things. Renee, do you think, uh, do you have an idea of what your call would be or what you would like to say? <laughs> I've actually been thinking about that um, and I think it's it's got to be around... I mean, my motivation um, for starting this project with Anna was around my background as a scientist. And so I have a biology background and um, became quite concerned about the gorillas in the Congo um, because they actually have a a habitat that um, is right where the mining occurs for um, coltan, which which is a mineral that's used in the manufacture of mobile phones and other technology. And so... I guess my my phone call might be for those gorillas, I think. That's really nice. Um, Anna, what about yourself? Um, I think I'd probably want you to say thank you to everyone that's participated in the project and kind of make up a message for them, for the participants. I'm not sure exactly what they'll be yet. It'll probably be in response to some of the calls that we get in the artwork. So there will actually be um, screens around as well, um, displaying some of the the content that um, contributors make. Um, have you guys ever seen your work, sort of your your personal contributions, up on such a large format before, or are you f- comfortable and familiar with that? I always I always kind of get a little bit um, hesitant about contributing content that I know is going to be on a big screen where I'm present. Like I'm happy for it to be yeah. there, but not while I'm there. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I guess with those um, text bytes that will be on the screens they won't be in in real time so Mm. there will be that kind of delay um which might help if you can imagine somebody sort of in a phone booth having this very personal call to to a gorilla and that sort of playing over the booth (laughs) while she's in there (laughs) could be an awkward moment as she leaves yeah no it won't be quite like that (laughs) (laughs) um so where can people find out more information about uh about the piece in the show um, probably the best um place is our website so it's www.onelastcall.com and it's also part of Art Plus Climate Equals Change. Um, so you can follow them on social media or go to their website as well. Fantastic. It looks like a, a great project and uh, we'd love to hear um, what, you, uh, what you receive and how people contribute. And, uh, and also, um, if we get a lot of phones back for Mobile Master, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd yeah, be great. Cool. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Yeah, no trouble. Thanks for coming in, guys. Yeah. Um, really appreciate it. Okay. Which is last couple of minutes here on Bite Into It with Dan Warren and myself, Laura. Um, so we've just got a couple of fun and random things to chat through for the end of the show. Um, first one is this new, yes, Elon Musk has in fact another business that he is starting because <laughs> oh. the man is an energizer bunny and apparently never sleeps. Um, so yes, he's he doing now? Well, he, let me tell you, Dan, let me tell you. <laughs> he's in fact attempting to implant our brains with technology and AI and I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Yeah, all right. I'm I'm intrigued. Let's go. What's further? Okay, so there's this business called Neuralink that he has been in the process of incorporating and building. Um, It's a medical research company in in California, of course. Um, And they are attempting to tackle some of these harder neurological diseases by implanting this incredibly fine mesh into your brain and then with with a view to ultimately like being able to stimulate parts of your brain and also to potentially throw some AI programming in there to possibly take over parts of your brain that are not functioning correctly, which sounds incredibly science fiction-y, but hey, what else has he done that isn't science fiction-y? Electric cars and going to Mars, anybody? Mm, Yeah, that's actually um, interesting because my, when you first said that, I was like, oh God, he's 
just going to like try and c- control minds for no reason. Travel, like, travel to Mars. Travel yeah, to that's Mars. exactly yeah. it. But it, this mm. seems like kind of altruistic, actually, you know, helping with uh, neurological disorders and neuroplasticity is actually u- using it for good, which, to be perfectly honest, I didn't think was in Elon Musk's, Elon Musk's DNA, but that's just his, my his cynicism. If, if you want to know what they're, what they're actually working on, it's syringe-injectable, flexible, sub-micron thickness substrates, well, just to be technical. Thank you for... Um, <laughs> Doing the detail that I completely failed to get out there. I appreciate it. It's pretty incredible. The image that they've shown on this article is, is really um, amazing and tiny web-like. Um, but, you know, talking of the web, um, there's an event which you can um, submit to soon, Warren. What's happening there? You can. Uh, Melbourne Webfest is on again for 2017. Um, it's uh, a great event, um, uh, homegrown, uh, obviously. Um, if you'd like to contribute, um, you can do so um, right now. So there's uh, 24 awards. Um including an award for a new student category as well. Um, the Grand Jury Award winner will receive direct entry uh, into and all expenses paid trips to our partner festivals um, in uh, LA Webfest and Marseille Webfest. So mm-hmm. um, it's a great um, opportunity for um, young creative thinkers um, to get involved. Regular submissions do close on the 1st of April. Um, so there's just a, a little bit of time left. Um, so yeah, yeah, if you want to, um, pretty easy to find, Melbourne Webfest. Um, um, yeah, biggest or best web series in the Southern yeah. Hemisphere. Get, get those uh, ideas onto YouTube. Mm. Uh, speaking of uh, things in Melbourne and things that are coming up, it's uh, we're rapidly approaching May, which means it's almost time for Melbourne Knowledge Week. Um, it's run by the City of Melbourne. They've just announced a program of 70 different events, or over 70 new wave events across uh, a whole lot of, a whole range of themes, including urban living, food, community sandbox stuff, the body, speaking a little bit about Elon Musk earlier there, what can we do with the body? Uh, and then, of course, startups and future work, which we're all about here on Bite Into It. A few of the... Uh, um, uh, stuff that they're showcasing, well, at least on the homepage right now, is um, machines that read your mind. Use moving prosthetic limbs with uh, with your thoughts alone. Oh, that's uh, great. That's a great idea. You no know one likes opening their own beer. This is true. Mm-hmm. Um, the rescue dinner is something I'm 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 all, I'm all for events with food. So the re- the rescue dinner is actually uh, talking about food insecurity, where some of Melbourne's most celebrated chefs will use rescued food or food or otherwise known as food that is about to be thrown out mm. at a catered event, where you can look at how we eat in a whole new way. Who hasn't drunk? And they tried to rescue food from the Yarra walking home. I did it last night. (laughs) I was going to say my fridge, but hey, the Yarra, sure. Yeah. Bins, skips, it's all fine. Um, mini Make Day, Beyond Earth, where we get to peer deep into our future and inventive imaginations of a world beyond our own, showcasing an array of tinkerers, makers, costume designers, scientists and nerds. It's your place to learn and uh, share ideas on the problems. Sounds amazing. Um Definitely get along to that. Uh, definitely get along to our next show, which will be at this time next week uh, with a similar bunch of humans. Uh, thanks to our guests tonight, uh, Alexa and Anna and Renee. Um, we've been bite into it. Up next is Anthony Carew with the International Pop Underground. Stick around. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.